I want to start with uh, some breaking news in the Ronald case, Ronald case, Ronald Green murder, uh, which broke when I was gone over my honeymoon. You know, I've been saying uh, this is the United Corporations of America forever. I've been saying that we're pretty much living in, whether it's financial cover-ups, whether it's police cover-ups, the cover-up in Flint, governmental cover-ups. We're in a sea of cover-ups, and the corporate media exists to cover up what's going on. They exist to cover up. And it's very rare that a corporate media outlet or the media in general will call something what it is, a cover-up. But it looks like as more information comes out, uh, what's going on in Louisiana with Ronald Green is an old-fashioned cover-up. Uh, this just came in from the Associated Press. Top cop in black man's deadly arrest withheld camera video. Uh, let me read for you. In perhaps the strongest evidence yet of an attempted cover-up in the deadly 2019 arrest of Ronald Green, the ranking Louisiana state police officer at the scene falsely told internal investigators that the black man was still a threat to flee after he was shackled. And he denied the existence of his, of his own body camera video for nearly two years until it emerged just last month. New state police documents obtained by the AP show numerous inconsistencies between Lieutenant John Clary's statements to detectives and the body camera footage he denied having. They add to growing evidence of obfuscation in Green's death, which the white troopers initially blamed on a car crash at the end of a high-speed chase and is now the subject of a federal civil rights investigation. So if you don't know the story, this black man, Ronald Green, I mean, was essentially strangled to death a la George Floyd. Uh, he said, I'm fearful. Uh, and they just kept on strangling him to death, even though he was pinned down with cuffs on. And now uh, they said, oh, he died of a car crash. Remember, uh, injuries of a car accident. That wasn't the case. Uh, they apparently the chief officer on the scene uh, didn't have his body camera on. I wonder why. And denied the existence of a body cam video for nearly two years. Uh, and falsely told investigators that he was fleeing, although he was shackled down, dying as they strangled him. And this comes, by the way, obviously we were on the ground covering the Andrew Brown story. Uh, this comes as I, while I was gone on my honeymoon, they released the video from that. They say the video, well, they released some of the video. They haven't released all of the video, but the part that they released show the police came in G.I. Joe style on Andrew Brown in North Carolina with Uzis, big ass guns, including one semi semi automatic gun. Uh, within seconds, they were at his car. Guns pointed at him. You know, maybe there's a different way you could approach uh, a suspect. He was uh, suspected of cocaine or something like that. So I don't know. If I have a bunch of G.I. Joes pointing guns at my car and I'm a black man and I'm not a black man, uh, I probably would get the f out of there just like Andrew Brown did because they're pointing guns at your car uh, and we know what police have done to people like Andrew Brown all over this country and all over this world. So Andrew Brown backed up. No police were behind him. Then he tried to flee again not a capital punishment. And as he tried to flee, he didn't run into any police officers. Police officers were around his car and they started shooting like at the gun range at a target. 
That's what happened. But the district attorney there, who, from my research, is corrupt, so is the judge who wouldn't release the footage. Um, the district attorney spun that video into that Andrew Brown was using his car as a weapon. Well, they came out right away, jumped off the truck with weapons pointed at this man. What would you like him to do? Call of Duty, cosplay. Would you like him to sit there as a sitting duck as they shoot him to death or try to get away? So as he tried to get away, I mean, I watched the video about seven or eight times. He's not, he didn't back up on any police. And when he drove off, he didn't hit any police. He was going in the opposite direction of police. But the district attorney says no police, uh, no action will be taken. Media doesn't question, should they have come in Call of Duty style with all those guns? They, they required uh, what looked like seven or eight police officers. Uh, several of the police officers didn't have their body cam footage on. So those police officers are getting off. And by the way, the only reason that these police officers in Louisiana might see justice is because the, the, video, the body cam leaked. The body cam leaked of what happened with Ronald Green. They sat on this for two years, including the governor of Louisiana. A Democrat. So to me, I don't want to minimize uh, what happened with Ronald Green because it's heinous. If you saw the video, I mean, they're strangling the man to death for no reason. Strangling the man to death for no reason. You could tell these police officers, this isn't a training issue. This is a brutality issue. This is a mentality issue. This is a racism issue. This is a too much testosterone issue. And this is a racism issue. It's, you can't train or retrain cops not to be like that. But to me, I think, and we're not going to get much from Joe Biden, author of the crime bill, but to me, what really stands out about the Ronald Green tape, how many more Ronald Greens are there out there? This was two years ago that this happened. How many more tapes are being hidden? How many more uh, sergeants, well, uh, a Louisiana state police officer at the scene falsely told internal investigators that the black man was still a threat to flee after he was shackled and he denied the existence of his own body camera footage. How many more of those are there? How many district attorneys who are elected, by the way, and are in bed with the police and in bed with the police unions are covering all these things up? instead of seeking justice for people like Ronald Green, are trying to protect and cover the asses of the police murdering Ronald Greens. It's a, it's, a, it's a rhetorical question, but you know the answer is a lot. And it's not just black men. It's a lot of Latino men being brutalized or murdered. Now black women we're seeing more and more. And we have bills the George Floyd policing reform bill, as if this can be reformed. I don't want to sit on every single police officer. I actually know one or two that I went to high school with who aren't barbarians, as far as I know. But this is not bad apples. This is a corrupt murdering squad who attempt to cover things up, frankly, like organized crime tries to cover murder up. And again, what happened with Ronald Green is murder. The police officers murdered him. They should be arrested. But the, those who tried to cover it, up, cover it up should also be arrested. And frankly, at this point, 
It's not going to happen unless we make it happen. Uh, you know how they had contact tracers for COVID? You know, we need contact tracers in the form of psychiatrists, uh, mental health professionals. We need to send, put psychiatrists in every single police department in this country. Don't let the police out of the police department for days and weeks, if need be. We, this is a crisis, and you need every single psychiatrist, head-to-toe evaluations of these police officers with the most stringent testing for our PTSD, mental health issues, uh, racial bias, you name it. And if you do that, my, I'd venture to guess 60 to 70% of their badges would be taken. That's what needs to happen. You want to call it defund? You want to call it abolish? I don't really call what you, I don't care what you call it. But when you see the video of these instances, and by the way, if we ever saw the video of what happened to Breonna Taylor, let's not forget all the people that there's not video for, or Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, those police officers would probably look the same way. Overzealous, barbarians, uh, not, not, not at all concerned about protecting themselves, excuse me, protecting the people that they have on the ground strangling to death, but mostly concerned with protecting themselves against an irrational fear. The police that went in Uzi style on Andrew Brown automatically assumed that Andrew Brown was a threat. Yeah, he had a criminal rap sheet. That's okay. A lot of people do. A lot of white people have criminal rap sheets. I promise you, they wouldn't have showed up to a white person's house for a cocaine subpoena, a subpoena over selling cocaine or something like that with seven police officers uh, look like SEAL Team 6 with, with their Uzis out pointed at him. Wouldn't happen. But literally, you have murderers, and it's not only Biden. This happened long before Biden. But how much more evidence do you need that this is not reformable? You can't reform uh, a mentality of racism, barbarism, uh, not looking at the people you're supposed to be protecting as humans, and then covering it up. How do you trust police reports after so many examples of the police straight up lying? How do you trust uh, district attorneys when there's a lot of evidence that district attorneys are bought off by police unions and are in bed with the police? They're supposed to be prosecuting if the police do wrong. You look at the Andrew Brown situation. I'm sorry. If you look at that video, the standard can no longer be simply, was Andrew Brown a threat? What about, was the police a threat to this black man? Explain to me why they showed up in a truck with military, I mean, they look like they're in Fallujah with body, uh, body visors and, and automatic weapons, semi-automatic weapons. And they jump out instead of approaching him saying, we have a subpoena, this and that. They showed up, guns pointed at the man. What about that threat to Andrew Brown? Ronald Green, I mean, did you see the video? So what do, 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 do black people or any people, but black people in specific, are they not, are they not allowed to respond to a threat? Because I'll tell you what, if I was in a car, I don't care if I've sold drugs or whatever, white people sell drugs too. Trust me. If I was in a car and all those cops showed up with guns pointed at me, my fight or flight would probably be in reverse and that car would reverse. And I'd probably drive away. 
especially for a black person who you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're either going to get shot sitting there or get shot driving away. And by the way, there was a police officer. The, the, the majority of the shots came from a police officer, not as Andrew Brown was in the immediate driving right away around the police officers, but a police officer behind him as he had already driven away. He was not a threat as he's driving away, but that police officer shot, I think I counted three times, and one of them hit him in the back of the neck. Joe Biden, Joe Biden. And, you know, I know people say, well, Jordan, you voted for him. You're right. I don't want to do this same song and dance. Uh, I, voted for, I voted for him for the reasons I already said, uh, but I had no illusions about who he was, and I had no illusions about what was going to happen. I guess one illusion I had was the fact that I didn't think the progressives, Bernie's, Bernie Sanders, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Ro Khanna, Pramila Jayapal, Mark Pocan, then you have Cori Bush, Jamal Bowman, on and on and on. I didn't think uh, they were just going to, frankly, do nothing and let Biden basically move further and further right and be okay and just go silently into the wind as Biden, essentially. Move to the right. I mean, he's kind of basically where Obama was, but abandon whatever minuscule campaign promises he made. But that's exactly what's been happening. Biden doesn't surprise me. It's the fact that there is no progressive opposition at all to Biden. The progressive opposition is you and us and Jimmy Dore. That's basically been the brunt of the progressive opposition. And I think Peter Dow kind of puts it well. You got... He puts up a few screens, screen grabs. So the corporate media basically manufactured consent, giving Biden cover to break the series, break a series of major campaign promises. Here you have uh, what's the secret of Biden's success, Paul Krubin says. Oh, my God. Uh, Joe Biden is electrifying America like FDR. Oh, boy. Can Biden be our FDR? Holy cow. Uh, Joe Biden is a transformational president, says David Brooks as he drinks his Bordeaux for the New York Times. I mean, it's just unseemly at this point. It's just unseemly at this point. The propaganda, I mean, we had Russiagate for many years. We had the Iraq war. Before that, we had the media bending over backwards for Obama. But I mean, this is kind of absurd. He put forth a 1.9 trillion COVID stimulus bill, had some good things in it. It's all temporary. It doesn't cut child poverty in half. It's a Band-Aid to an economic gunshot wound. We're going to talk about the looming eviction moratorium, by the way, soon. Other than that, he ran on a public option. Joke. Fooled you. Uh, $2,000 checks. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. Maybe next time we're not going to do $2,000 checks, public option, eh, take a hike. Uh, what else? I mean, um, asking for more money for police as we see more and more Ronald Green and Andrew Browns and Dante Wrights. Police need more money. $15 minimum wage. Oh, well, the parliamentarian, blah, 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 blah. Very FDR, let me tell you. Quite FDR because, you know, FDR promised Social Security, right? But then he said, well, I can't do it because the Senate parliamentarian ruled, ruled no. And FDR, you know, promised a new deal 
and a government jobs program and all these things. But then he said, well, you know, I don't know. We don't want to go too bold here. I mean, honestly, it's beyond propaganda at this point. It's just unseemly brainwashing. And the corporate media wants to do this in cycles because they know Biden, you know, let's let's face it, doesn't look great for 2024. So they just want to rev up this propaganda and then set it up for the woke error of either Kamala Harris or Pete Buttigieg. That's what they're doing. They're setting it up for either Kamala or Pete Buttigieg uh, and, you know, trying to make really, frankly, less than incremental improvements. I wouldn't even say they're incremental. It's all temporary Band-Aids. They're trying to take that and glorify it as FDR, who literally saved the country uh, from the Great Depression, set up most of our social safety nets. It's a joke. And while I was gone, it comes out, uh, yeah, his budget that he's about to reveal, uh, it's going to leave out a few things, as in all the things he promised. Eh, public option for healthcare not going to be included in this budget that will be proposed next week. You're beginning to get a theme here, folks. The public option is not going to be in this one. The $15 minimum wage, well, it wasn't going to be in that one. The COVID relief bill, well, we can't do the $15 minimum wage in that one. We'll do it down the road. We'll do it down the road. Oh, the public option, which, by the way, the public option, we need a lot more than a public option. Public option, not going to be in this one. We'll, we'll get to that later. White House officials have left key Biden campaign promises on health care out of their coming budget proposal as the administration focuses on trying to pass what is already included, according to four people briefed. The White House jettisoned months of planning from agency staff as their initial plan could fuel criticisms that the administration is pushing new spending programs too aggressively. Criticisms from who? The COVID relief bill, even though it was a temporary Band-Aid, was wildly popular. The $15 minimum wage, wildly popular. Medicare for all, wildly popular. Who, uh, Whose criticism are they worried about? Wall Street? Big Pharma? For-profit health care? Private hospital equipment? Who is the boogeyman that they're so worried about? Their donors. The Washington Post left that part out. Pushing new spending programs too aggressively. The budget will not include President Biden's campaign pledge to enact a public option to create a government-run health insurance program or his pledge to cut prescription drug costs, the people said. The decision to hold back many of Biden's campaign plans from his first budget proposal reflects the challenges facing the administration as it works to prioritize other spending spending expansions related to the U.S. economy and social welfare programs. Biden has proposed more than $4 trillion in new government spending and trillions of dollars in tax hikes to pay for it. The budget deficit last year, meanwhile, was worth more than $3 trillion. So let me get something straight. Biden, to him, there's greater priorities than, I at this point, I don't know, probably roughly 40 to 50 million people without health insurance. Over 100 million, I would venture to guess, underinsured. Apparently, infrastructure is a higher priority than that. I'm not saying the roads aren't shit. Don't get me wrong. But I would say healthcare is a much graver priority than infrastructure, in my opinion. Uh, then you have um, he, the $15 minimum wage. 
nothing about that in this budget. They told us, oh, no, we can't do it in the we can't do it in the first coronavirus bill. We're going to get to it. Not a mention of it. All but disappeared, which is, again, a disaster, because even if it passed today, it would take five years. Five years for that to be implemented. So moonwalking on a public option, which was not enough anyway, moonwalking on a $15 minimum wage came come out comes out now. He's also uh, the next CNBC article. He's also not including any student debt forgiveness. And the debt forgiveness he was giving was a joke. $10,000. This is from CNBC. On the campaign trail, Biden issued his support for $10,000 of undergraduate or graduate student debt relief for every year of the national community, uh, for every year of national community service, up to five years and $50,000. Since then, House and Senate Democrats repeatedly urged Biden to broadly forgive up to $550,000 of federal debt through executive order. Biden's first 100 days are now behind him, and he has repeatedly pushed back against leaders of his own party, stating that he will only support up to $10,000 of debt forgiveness. Well, on Friday, Washington Post reported that several ambitious Biden campaign pledges will likely be left out of the White House budget, including student debt forgiveness. The Biden administration is reportedly reviewing federal student loan relief programs separately. Again, here's a theme. Here's a theme, folks. We're not going to get to it. We're not going to get to the $15 minimum wage. Uh, We're not going to get to the $15 minimum wage in the COVID bill. We'll get to it later. Uh, We're not going to get to the public option in this budget. We're going to do it separately. Oh, we're not going to get to the $10,000 student loan forgiveness in this one. We'll get to it later. Well, later, if you know anything about politics, later, I mean, you're already going to start the midterm campaigns, basically two months, three months. Campaigns for the midterms and coverage for the midterms are generally going to start in late summer, early fall. Republicans aren't going to work with you now, much less then. Uh, The Joe Manchins and the Kristen Cinemas, who still control the government, not to mention Biden's buddies, Chris Coons, Tom Carper, and other corporate Democrats, uh, you think they're going to cooperate more closer to the midterms? So all of this is just empty bullshit, platitudes, call it whatever you want. All of this, he's not going to do any of it because he doesn't believe in any of it. And it wasn't exposed that his record wasn't exposed during the campaign because the corporate media literally lifted up a half-conscious man and pretended that he was a lunch bucket union man guy when in reality, he's never actively pushed for a $15 minimum wage. He never actively pushed for anything on healthcare, really. He pushed to militarize the police. He pushed for more prisons. He pushed for more war. But his record never matched any of the progressive rhetoric, just like Hillary Clinton's didn't. And now what you have is essentially him saying, you know, we'll get to all of this later, as in never. Healthcare is a crisis in this country. Even the jobs that have come back, even the jobs that have come back, uh, restaurant industry, bars, hotels, overwhelming majority of them don't have health care or have very shitty health care. Yet he's telling you the one thing he ran on, why he said, you know, to Bernie, well, how are you going to pay for it? Public option is much cheaper. He said, no, no, it's not just that I'm anti-Medicare for all. I'm for this better option, which is a public option, which he's abandoning. I promise you, folks, 
Maybe it's because I'm well-rested. He's not going to do a public option. He's not. He's not going to fight for a $15 minimum wage. Student loan relief. I'm going to show you this interview we did with the New York Times. He said he, he's pretty much uh, thinks it's wrong. You, 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 uh, you racked up the bill. It's on you, he thinks. That's what he thinks. I mean, goodness gracious, this was really a big uh, uh, verbal diarrhea. But, but uh, this interview is very illuminating, very illuminating. So I want to go uh, first to this part. This was while I was gone. So David Brooks interviews Biden. And this first part, uh, this may seem like an un unusual way to answer a question about the role of government, but it is quintessential Biden. Some people get their wor worldviews from ideological constructs or philosophical movements like conservatism or progressivism. Biden derives his worldview from lived experience, especially the world of his youth and how his parents, parents taught him to see that world. It created the moral underpinnings of the big legislative packages he is proposing. The story, is about his, the story about his father includes the key elements of Biden worldview. Oh, God. First, a social location. What matters is not only how a person sees an issue, but also where he or she sees it from. Biden sees most issues from the vantage of the folks that used to be called the common man, the lower middle class, and the middle class Truman Democrats he grew up. Okay. Let's first, Joe Biden's common man is bankers. It always has been. Joe Biden's common man is real estate developers. Joe Biden's common man, okay, is big pharma, uh, big healthcare, Silicon Valley, military industrial complex, and all uh, the financial lawyers. That's the common man to Joe Biden. Oh, you know, on the campaign trail. Oh, my dad said, you know, there's dignity and a paycheck and all this bullshit. This is preeminent gaslighting. Joe Biden is kind of like that jock in high school who says rancid things about, you know, all the girls he's, you know, poo-pooing uh, behind the locker room, in the locker room, what, what Trump called locker room talk, but then goes out and, you know, see, speaks very softly and is very, uh, you know, charismatic and everybody thinks he's a sweetheart. But behind closed doors, he's a sieve. Joe Biden is a fraud and he's full of sh and propaganda from David Brooks is why a lot of people, particularly the older voters that put him in the White House, think that this guy is like a union man. Think that this guy is like, uh, you know, for the common man. What common man? The common man right now, and woman, is struggling for health care. The common man and woman, especially if you're younger, uh, has, if you're lucky, less than 100,000 100, in student loan debt. Most people more. The common man is either facing eviction or got themselves in debt during the pandemic to pay their rent. And now might, have, might, might be caught up on their rent, but incurred debt to pay for that rent. Because in that case, Trump, but even more now, Joe, uh, Joe Biden, it's all temporary band-aids, oh, eviction moratoriums, foreclosure moratoriums. Well, when the pandemic is over and it looks like they're seeming to declare it over now, What's going to happen to all those people? Joe, does Joe Biden not consider those people the common man? No, it's the banks that want to get paid on all the residential buildings they own or they're invested in. That's the common man to Joe Biden. I mean, it's just obscene.
and heinous the way this is framed. Uh, let me let me read a little bit more of it. Second, an acute awareness of the vicissitude of life. Biden said that his dad once showed him an image of the comic strip Viking, Hager the Horrible, getting hammered by life and screaming out, why me? God answers, why not? Biden still has that comic strip. That was my dad. Third, an intense focus on human dignity. Oh, human dignity, yes. I think the Irish most often use the word dignity of any other group of people, Biden said. I think it's because when you've been deprived of dignity, you put a high, high premium on it. In the white ethnic hierarchies of mid-century America, quote, to be Irish was to be second class. Biden recalls, the English owned the town. Well, let me get this straight on dignity. On dignity, he says. Oh, let me read a little bit more. Out of these three elements emerges a governing philosophy and subsequently a set of policies that work strenuously to support people amid the setbacks of life that offers people good jobs so they could live with dignity that pushes against the arrogance of wealth. Well, he's certainly pushing against the arrogance of wealth by making them more wealthy. Another piece of his basic worldview comes from 20th, 20th century Catholic social teaching. He said that his father loved the French Catholic philosopher Jacques Marichon, and later in the conversation mentioned that he too was guided by, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Marichon. This, this is... Uh, the part that I found most egregious. Uh, in this context, Biden sees the greatest risks in incrementalism. In this context, Biden sees the greatest risk in incrementalism. Quote, the risk is not trying to go to go big, Biden said. If we stay small, I don't know how we change our international status and competitive capacity. Let me repeat that. Quote, the risk is not trying to go big, Biden said. If we stay small, I don't know how we change our international status and competitive capacity. Well, where is the big? Am I missing the big? Where is uh, these big, bold policies, not the bullshit David Brooks is spewing? $15 minimum wage is the middle ground, frankly, conservative position. We should have a $25 minimum wage. He's not even doing a $15 minimum wage. Is he going big? The COVID relief bill, $1.9 economic band-aid for a gaping gunshot wound. Student loan debt, $10,000. I think the average student loan debt is like close to $50,000. And now he's not even doing it. He's waiting to be told if it's legal. We know the media is not going to hold him accountable. But the really outrageous thing to me and I got to tell you, say what you want about Jimmy Dore. Uh, I, I'm a friend of his. Uh, you know, a lot of people have, you know, called him the enemy, all this stuff. He's been right. He's been right. So have other people, but Jimmy's been right. At a certain point, there is no excuse and there is no strategy for the progressives that we elected and we volunteered for. And we, I didn't, but you donated to basically turning the other cheek to all of this empty neoliberal bullshit. What they said was, yeah, he's not our cup of tea. He's not our cup of tea, but we're going to fight, uh, get him in there, and we fight on day one. Well, it's long past day one. Long past day one. Bernie, not doing anything. Sorry. He's allowing this to go on. He's not challenging any of it. He's not calling out Biden. AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Ro Khanna, Pramila Jayapal, Mark Pocan, uh, Corey Bush, Jamal Bowman, 
uh, frankly, a lot of them seem more focused on woke issues. They seem a lot more interested on woke issues than economic issues. I care about some of the woke issues, but, I mean, this is absurd. This is Mitt Romney-level flip-floppery. Say what you want about Trump. He kept his promises. They were awful, but he kept them, or tried to keep a lot of them. And there's no pushback. I get it. Pandemic, what's going on in Israel and Palestine, um, mass shootings, Andrew Brown, uh, Ronald Green, Dante Wright. It's one thing after the other. Trust me. When it, whenever we try to plan things to cover, it's difficult when it's one fire after another fire after another fire. But this man ran on building back better. He ran on Medicare for All is radical, but I still want to do something, a pub, public option. He ran on $2,000 checks out the door. He ran on $15 minimum wage, end of story. And none of that is coming to fruition. He's not even trying for more of it. Yet the media is telling you this is FDR? At the end of June, the eviction moratorium is up. And I got news for you folks. I don't think they're going to extend it. I think they're starting to try. You know, the pandemic is winding down. The pandemic is over. Whatever that means. Granted, uh, obviously, cases are way down, which is a good thing. Let's not forget all the people that have died. Let's not forget all the people with long-haul COVID, including Jen, who's been suffering. Um, but thank God the cases are down. So the cases are down. So Biden wants to do a victory lap. And just like Obama allowed all these people to be foreclosed on in 2000, uh, 2009, 2010, and the media didn't wink at, blink an eye, Democratic Party said, eh, too bad. Let's do Dodd-Frank, which is another Band-Aid to a gunshot wound, and let all you people be foreclosed on, mostly black and Latino people, by the way. There's an eviction moratorium coming up at the end of June. Um, there's been a patchwork of rental relief uh, that's been put in there. And before I get to the details of the eviction moratorium, uh, I want to take you through Biden, what Biden said. So Biden was interviewed. Uh, I think this was, yeah, during the campaign. Uh, he was interviewed by Vanity Fair. And the interviewer from Vanity Fair said, uh, I interviewed the mayor of Seattle a couple of weeks ago, Jenny Durkin. She's a supporter of yours. Uh, another neoliberal hack. Uh, I got to interview Shama Sawan uh, soon. I asked her about rent relief, and she said basically the federal government should be in charge of helping people who have lost their jobs, make their rent payments, make their mortgage payments. Is it possible to do some kind of federal rent bailout? Joe Biden. You ready? This is what Joe Biden had to say. Um, Biden said, absolutely, there is, and we should, we should, and we should also deal with housing overall. For example, we're in a position now where we have first-time homebuyers. When they get through this, you know, I provide a $15,000 tax credit for first-time homebuyers. They don't have enough money to be able to get the down payment to get started. Nobody should be paying more than 30% of their income for rent. There should be rent forgiveness, and there should be mortgage forgiveness now in the middle of this crisis. Forgiveness. Not paid later, forgiveness. It's critically important to people who are in the lower income strata. Uh, let me repeat that. Let me repeat that for those of you in the back. Forgiveness. Not paid later, forgiveness. It's critically important to people who are in the lower income strata. So that was, let me get it for you. This was May 2020 when he was uh, trying to get 
well, he was pretty much had the Democratic nomination uh, wrapped up there. At the, actually, no, he uh, Bernie had dropped out. So he was basically the Democratic nominee at that point and, again, was lying to people. He said right there, the media will never show you that. He said, forgive the rent, as in the government should pay the rent. Not this patchwork rental relief bullshit, which, by the way, all these rental relief programs are a bureaucratic nightmare where I'm going to read to you. A lot of these states that have gotten money from the federal government have not distributed the money to renters behind. And now we're facing an eviction moratorium expiring in a few weeks. They're not talking about extending it. And honestly, I wouldn't be for them extending it because that's not the answer. Eventually, the music's going to stop and these people are going to owe the money. And by the way, it's not just the people that have already maybe you have paid your rent and you're not behind. But to do that, you have to max out your credit card or go in debt elsewhere to pay your rent during this pandemic. What about all the people that might technically not be behind but are screwed because they're in debt other places? Isn't that the common man Joe Biden talked about in that interview with propagandist David Brooks? So we've showed we've showed Biden um, we've showed Biden said he was for rent forgiveness in May, right? May 2020. Let's show you what he said uh, in the beginning of his presidency in February when he did a town hall with CNN, which was a slobbering, pathetic softball affair. We promised, look at all the people who are on the verge of being kicked out of their apartments because they cannot afford, they cannot afford the rent. What happens when that happens? Everything, look at all the mom and pop landlords that are in real trouble if we don't subsidize this in the meantime. Look at all the people who are on the verge of missing and how many people have missed their last two mortgage payments and are able to be foreclosed. And that's why I took executive action to say they cannot be foreclosed on in the meantime. Because look at what the impact on the economy would be. You think it's bad now. Let all that happen. Let me get let me get this straight. Uh, in the meantime, look at what the effect would be on the economy. Not look at what the effect would be on these people that are going to be evicted. What would be the effect on the economy? See that? That's the capitalist mindset there. What would be the effect on the market? What would be the effect on the economy? But he said, that's why I've taken executive action to, foreclose, uh, to not foreclose on people in the meantime. Well, what happened from May 2020 to February 2021? What happened? He said when he was running, forgiveness, not paid later. Forgiveness, not paid later. But he gets into office. Well, in the meantime, I'll protect you. But when the pandemic's over, well, you know, you're on your own. Common man. But the media doesn't cover any of this. The media doesn't challenge him. He said, forgiveness. He says, I'm for the common man. He says, this is a pandemic that was brought on by nobody. Well, there's a lot of people that are going to be thrown out into the streets. It's already happening in the Bronx, in New York City. I just emailed a tenants group today to try to get interviews. I, is Joe Biden worried about those people? Is the Democratic Party worried about those people? What are those people supposed to do? It's not enough to give temporary Band-Aids. You have, these people didn't create this pandemic. A lot of these people have been trying to get back to work. But in America, there, Joe Biden is more worried about the economy and the market than actual human beings. You know, the human dignity he talked about? He didn't give a damn about human dignity because these people are 
literally facing an eclipse right now. So $45 billion was supposed to be going to tenants to pay their rent uh, during this pandemic. Uh, rent relief was the solution to a possible wave of evictions. It ran headfirst into reality, Fox says. So everyone agreed that rent relief was the only way to stop a wave of millions of Americans from being evicted. The logic was simple. Give people who were struggling during the pandemic the money to pay their rent, and landlords would have no reason to evict for nonpayment. That simplicity and that remarkable unity from the landlord lobby and tenant advocates alike in calling for this type of relief led Congress to allocate $25 billion in rental assistance in December. Three, less than three months later, in March, they allocated another $21 billion. But despite this unprecedented level of federal aid, people like Emil Ashby are still in a crisis. Uh, quote, I'm terrified. I'm so terrified to spend money. The 31-year-old Floridian told me as she shopped Walmart for household supplies, I literally donated eggs to make rent. I'm selling off body parts. This woman's donating her eggs to make rent. I thought Joe Biden cares about dignity. I'm selling off body parts. Ashbis, who says she works 11 to 12 hour shifts without a break at a Texas roadhouse to afford her $1,300 a month rent, didn't even know she could apply for rent relief. Technically, she couldn't until the week before last when the state opened up its rent relief application process, the Tampa Bay Times reports. Meanwhile, Miami-Dade County, where she resides, has already closed its program for applications. The disconnect between Ashby's situation and the federal relief that was supposed to help Renters like her explains why people are sounding the alarm about a potential deluge of eviction if the federal, blah, federal moratorium is allowed to expire or is struck down in the next few weeks. Getting money into the hands of renters has been exceedingly complicated. No, sh it's meant to be complicated, just like the unemployment insurance program is. The National Low-Income Housing Coalition has found over 340 different programs attempting to administer the federal aid. Some programs require onerous documentations. Others make it easy for landlords to apply, and most put the onus, excuse me, others don't make it easy for landlords to apply, and most put the onus on tenants to provide extensive proof of need. And Ashbis is far from unique. Many advocates Vox spoke with said tenants often don't even know the aid is available to them. All of this underscores the difficulty of aiding those at higher risk. Uh, Georgia's Department of Community Affairs told me that is, it has distributed more than $4 million in rental assistance funding to landlords and tenants. The state has received over $552 million for that purpose. Let me repeat. Georgia's Department of Community Affairs told me that it has distributed more than $4 million in rental assistance funding to landlords and tenants, but the state has received over $552 million. Uh, where's the rest of, where's the 548 million? Where's the rest of it? 4 million? They're sitting on 552 million? Delaware State Housing Authority told me it has distributed 40,000 in rental assistance, 0.02% of its allocated funds. Idaho's Housing and Finance Association told me it has distributed 6.1 million of the 175 million it received from the federal government. Colorado, Colorado's dashboard shows 2.8 million has been approved from the 247 million it has received. Arizona's dashboard shows 4.38 million has been dispersed out of the 289 million it has received. By the way, just so you know, this is uh, a broader story than just this. This whole idea that, oh, well, the federal government gave Flint $180 million or something like that. 
Go ask the people of Flint, Michigan, how much of the money earmarked for them actually went to the residents of Flint, Michigan and water relief. It's the same story in other programs where Congress um, allocates certain funds, but they go through the state governments and those state governments. It's just very interesting. They eight out of 10 times kind of get siphoned off to other goodie bags and other little pet projects rather than where they're supposed to be going with no audit and no oversight of where the money goes. I mean, I just read to you, you got 0.02% of the money being spent in Delaware that was sent to them. Uh, Colorado, uh, uh, 4 million has, no, not Colorado, Georgia, 4 million has been spent of the 552 million. Where is this money going? And by the way, even if they were trying to spend the money, how are people supposed to know? It doesn't seem like there's clear communication that you could apply. It seems that you have to show your blood type. If you know you have to apply, you have to show your blood type and seven different forms of identification and ridiculous, ridiculous things. It's outrageous.